1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you thought it good in your eternal purposes to purchase a people for your son Jesus. So we praise you for our redemption and for your love that led you to pay the ultimate price, your son Jesus. Lord, you did this to make a holy people, a righteous people, a people for your own treasured possession. And we ask God that you would empower us tonight, that you would help us understand your word to live a life of holiness distinct from the world around us, to point them to our Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to worship you with our lives, with our words, with our bodies. Everything we have belongs to you, Lord. And we pray that you would be blessed and honored in this time that we have together. We ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, friends. So tonight we're going to be looking at the fourth theme in the book of Corinthians, and that is Paul in 1 Corinthians really cared about sexual purity in a sex-saturated society. Now, this is one of those themes that I'm not going to have to work too hard to show you how it connects to our life today. But similar to 21st century America, or wherever country you might be in as you listen to this, Paul was writing to people who were immersed in a culture that had lifted up sex and sexual pleasure as the ultimate good for a person to pursue. And so this is unfortunately not just in the culture out there. This has been brought into the church. And so there are some serious issues going on at the church in Corinth with regards to sexual purity. The first is that there is incest in the church. I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. And understand that when Paul speaks about a man having his father's wife, there's a man in the church at Corinth who is sleeping with his stepmother. So here's what Paul says. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and out of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now let me just interject there. Why are they arrogant? What? How could you be arrogant if there's a person in your church who is sleeping with his stepmother? I think the church is arrogant. They are boasting. They're super proud of how tolerant and how forgiving they are. And Paul says you ought to mourn this type of behavior. Verse 3, for though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So recall that we said that Paul has actually written another letter previous to this, an unknown letter. And apparently in that letter, he wrote to them, like he said in verse 9, not to associate with sexually immoral people. 
And the church at Corinth took that to mean unbelievers and believers. And Paul says, no, no, no. I'm not talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers are going to live like unbelievers. What I'm talking about is anybody who calls themselves a Christian. Now, understand that every verse in the Bible cannot say everything about every topic every time it brings it up. So though Paul does not mention church discipline, we know that Paul would understand and assume that the church at Corinth has gone through church discipline that Jesus laid out for us in Matthew 18. So if you go to a brother who is sinning sexually or a sister, you go to them one-on-one and you lovingly confront them and they reject you, and you go back with a friend and they reject you and that friend, and you go back with you, a friend and a pastor, and they reject you, then take it before the church. And Jesus says, if they ignore the church, then they are to be to you as a tax collector or a Gentile. And this is not to mean that you're not to ever speak to them ever again, but it means that you are to think of them and regard them as an unbeliever. When you pray for them, you pray for their salvation. When you speak with them, you speak to them of their salvation. And so Paul says, this man who's calling himself a Christian, you are to practice church discipline. And if he does not repent, then you are to cast him out of your fellowship. And this is shocking in our day that anyone would call for this. And I assure you, it was shocking in Paul's day as well. But in this passage, we are given two reasons to practice church discipline. The first is church discipline for the good of the sinner. Look at verse 5. He says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now that sounds really, really harsh. But by casting this man out of the fellowship of Jesus, casting him sort of back out into the world, you are casting him out to Satan, the prince of the power of this world. But look at the reason that Paul gives you. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Friends, if we don't practice church discipline, we are lying to people who aren't believers, who think that they are. And we are allowing them to go through life deceived, headed for eternal damnation because no one loved them enough to confront them and go through this painful process with them. So we must practice church discipline for the good of the sinner. Another reason though, the greater reason, it's church discipline for the glory of God. By tolerating this type of sin, Christians were deceiving the world about what it meant to follow Jesus. Understand that the Christian movement in its infancy which is where it is right here in in the city of Corinth, people don't really understand Christianity. This is all very new to them. So if a man who calls himself a Christian is sleeping with his stepmother and word gets around and the Gentiles, the unbelievers might necessarily look to the Christians to see how are they going to respond to this? What does Christianity say about sleeping with your stepmom? Is your God okay with that? Our God would say that's gross. Is your God okay with that? And if the church at Corinth doesn't deal with this man, then people are left to assume that Jesus and Yahweh, whoever they are, are fine with incest, which is really gross. I don't want anything to do with a God who's fine with incest. By not practicing church discipline, they're lying to the city of Corinth about who our God is. And when we don't practice church discipline, we are lying to our culture around us about who our God is. So we must practice church discipline for the good of the sinner, and we must practice church discipline for the glory of God. Now, in Corinth, there was all types of sexually immoral behavior going on, not just this one instance of incest within the church. Corinth was famous for its sexual immorality. And Paul calls on these new believers, many of whom probably left a lifestyle of sexual immorality when they came to Jesus, and he calls on them to pursue holiness. And he uses, in chapter 6, he uses four arguments. The first argument is Christian freedom meant being freed from slavery to sin. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 14, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. So remember, whenever you see uh, quotation marks in your Bible, this is what the church at Corinth wrote to Paul. So the church at Corinth wrote to Paul and said, you know, all things are lawful for me. As a follower of Jesus, God, God made all these things. They belong to me. And Paul answers them, yeah, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, the church at Corinth says. And Paul's answer says, yes, but I will not be dominated by anything. The church at Corinth says food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And Paul answers, and God will destroy both one and the other. Now, let me just explain right here. In verse 13, when it says food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, the Corinthian church is arguing like this. They're saying, okay, well, God made stomachs and he made food. So obviously we're supposed to eat food because otherwise we wouldn't have stomachs and there wouldn't be food. Well, God gave us sexual organs and sex exists. Therefore, we're supposed to have sex and we can have sex with whoever. It's all about pleasure, right? Isn't that why God made us? For us to enjoy pleasure? But Paul says, no, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So Christian, you have been raised from the dead with Jesus. You have been freed from slavery to sin. And that does not mean that you can live however you want and do whatever you want because God has to forgive you. It means that you are no longer a slave to sin whose wages is death, but you now belong to Jesus and you are to live a new holy life. So that's Paul's first argument. Christian freedom meant being freed from slavery to sin, not being free to sin however you want, knowing that God has to forgive you. The second argument is that believers are united with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 and 16. Or do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Now this goes back again to this topic of union with Christ. When a follower of Jesus places their faith in Jesus and they are born again, the Holy Spirit joins us in an inseparable bond to the Lord Jesus. Now, God made us, he made our bodies, and he made us in such a way that the sexual act is obviously not just a physical act, but there is a spiritual component to it as well. So if I, someone who is joined spiritually to Jesus, then go and sleep with a prostitute, there's a union of a sort, a one flesh union happening between me and the prostitute. And that means that I am joining Jesus in prostitution. I am bringing my Lord and making him participate in sexual immorality. And this should be unthinkable for believers. So the next time we are tempted towards sexual immorality, we must remember that you are united with Jesus. Jesus is going with you and he is participating in a manner of speaking with you in whatever that is that you are doing. And that should be all the motivation that we need to flee from sexual immorality. So our first argument was that Christian freedom meant being freed from slavery to sin. Our second argument is that believers are united with Jesus. Our third argument that Paul gives us is the destructive nature of sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. He says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, there is a confusion in our church today that I think this verse really helps clear up. You'll hear people say, typically, when another Christian is talking about, let's say, homosexuality or abortion and, and saying that that's a sin, that it, it is. 
And someone will come back and say, well, you know, all sins are equal in the sight of God. And there's a sense in which that person is right, but there's a deeper sense in which that person is very, very wrong. Now, here's how they're right. Sin takes us and moves us from the category of innocent to the category of guilty, right? So you can imagine that if a person had never sinned, right? They're 25 years old and they've somehow managed to make it through their life and they've never sinned and they tell a little white lie. They've now moved from the category of innocent to guilty before God. Imagine another person who is 25 years old and they've never sinned and they commit murder. Well, they have also moved from the category of innocent to guilty. So in that sense, all sin is equal in the sight of God. It moves us from the category of innocent to guilty. All sin makes us dirty and unclean before God. All sin incurs a penalty. But if you had to pick between telling the white lie or murdering someone, tell the white lie. There is a difference. Paul says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There is something particularly destructive about sexual sin. I'm struck by that word flee. In the book of James chapter 4, we're told to resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the most powerful being in the universe besides God, if I, a believer with the Holy Spirit, turn and resist him in the strength that Christ provides, the devil flees from me. But if sexual immorality comes calling, I'm to flee. I'm to run. I'm not to turn and resist. I don't square up a sexual immorality. I run. I jump out the window. And that's because there's something particularly dangerous and destructive about sexual immorality. And we must flee from it. We must be aware of the danger. So the first argument that Paul gives is Christian freedom and being freed from slavery to sin. The second argument is that believers are united with Jesus. The third argument is the destructive nature of sexual sin. And the fourth argument is that their bodies were the dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Friends, you don't belong to you. It's very similar to I have a conversation with my students and they ask about tattoos and they say, you know, can I get a tattoo? And I ask them one of the most important questions to answer is, a tattoo on whose body? And if their answer is, well, it's my body, I'm like, ah, we've got a problem right from the start. Because if you're a believer, it's not your body. Your body was purchased by Jesus Christ. It belongs to him. And you are to glorify God in your body. Now, I'm not speaking about whether you should or should not get a tattoo, but the principle is the same. It's not your body anymore. And furthermore, it's not just not your body, but your body is now the dwelling place of the holy God. If I went to church on Sunday morning and I found that someone had broken into the sanctuary and they had desecrated the sanctuary, they had put trash and filth and spray painted vulgar words and desecrated the cross, I would rightly be outraged and shocked. But that's just a building, friends. When we sin sexually, we are desecrating the temple of God. We are making the dwelling place of the holy God a place of filth and uncleanness. And Paul would say, don't do it. It's not worth it. You belong to God. Glorify God in your body. So friends, let's take heed to this. Let us hear Paul's arguments. Let's hear his warnings. Remember that you were freed so that you can belong to Jesus, not so that you can sin and go to God trying to twist his arm into forgiveness. You were freed to live for him. 
Let's remember that believers are united with Jesus and whatever we do with our body, we take Christ with us. Let's remember the destructive nature of sexual sin. It is unique in all of the catalog of human sins and we must flee from it. And let's remember that our bodies are the dwelling place of God. And let us not bring the living God into contact with sin through sexual immorality. So the next time we come back together, we're going to look at how Paul aims to become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. But for now, take up and read, my friends. God bless.